everyone. Welcome to Mad Hat Economics. I'm Jackie Stein, and as always with me, I have today Professor David Just. Hello. Saren Karakasu. Hey. Liz Bell. Hello. And our special guest speakers today, all the way from the School of Operations Research and Information Engineering, Professor Jamal Pender. Hello. And Sophia Nowitzki. Hi. Okay, and today, Professor Jamal Pender and Sophia will be talking to us about their research on cueing theory. And we're not talking about social cues, although this is a behavioral economics podcast. We're actually talking about lines and why people get in certain lines when, when you're waiting maybe to buy a ticket or in the grocery store. Picture yourself in all of those instances. And, and we're going to kind of dissect how mathematics can particularly help us figure out why people are getting certain lines and maybe refraining from getting in line at all. Jamal, would you like to share a story? Sure. So I actually joined Cornell like two years prior to actually officially starting my appointment here. And during the time that I was sort of in limbo from Cornell, um, I actually lived in New York City. And I'm originally from New York City, so it was great to have an opportunity to come back home. Um, and occasionally I would come up to Ithaca actually to teach a class, our uh, probability and statistics class, and um, I would drive four hours you know, to Ithaca and then four hours back to New York City. And occasionally, if you ever take the George Washington Bridge like I did every time, uh, you're given two options. So. The first option is to, to take the upper level or you can take the lower level. And every time I would drive up, there's a sign that would indicate possibly what, whether you should actually take the upper level or the lower level. And it would tell you, one, how many miles it would take for you to get across to New York City. And two, it would also tell you the expected sort of time that uh, it would take you to get across on each of the options. And what many people don't know about, at least the lower level is that it actually contains three lanes, while the upper level actually contains four lanes. And one thing that's unique about the upper level is that trucks are only allowed to go on the upper level. So they're not allowed to go on the lower level because they would damage the bridge. So one question that emerges is which option should you choose? Um, suppose they are equally as likely, which one should you sort of uh, choose? in terms of going over the bridge. And more often than not, actually, both of them were unequal. Typically, the upper level always said that it was much longer than the lower level. Um, nonetheless, I always chose the upper level. Um, <laughs> one, I, I just like driving, I guess, around trucks. So, so uh, punishment. Yeah, so, but seemingly taking the upper level, it seemed like I actually avoided a lot of traffic. And so one reason is that there's actually more connections on to the lower level side of the highway than they are on the upper level, because the upper level is actually sort of internal to the lane. It seems like I actually saved a huge amount of time by always making this, this upper level decision, even though the signs always told me to do otherwise. And so this really raised an interesting question of like, well, one, is the sign actually right? And Two, should I actually follow what the sign is telling me to do? Because it quite possibly could change as soon as I pass by it. And so there emerged a lot of questions just from taking this trip 
and sort of inspired some of the, the research that I'm currently doing where we try to analyze, well, if you delay information or you give information in sort of an updated fashion, and that's what sort of Sophia is working on, how does this really affect one's decision and how does it affect the dynamics of the, the highway or the upper level and lower level in the George Washington Bridge case? And so we really wanted to, to sort of try to uncover what is the real impact of either delaying information or giving information in various different forms. So, um, so essentially, the question is, you're walking in, you've got a few lines you can choose. Given whatever information and, and I guess different types of information you might get, which one should you actually choose? Yes. So this also depends on how the information is given to you. And so... In one of our papers, we sort of give two types of uh, ways, or oh, there's many ways that you can actually present information to drivers or customers. Um, and all of these things are different, and so the decision that you actually make would need to depend on how the information is presented to you. And so we try to uncover this using some mathematics, and we actually find some, some very interesting results that um, I think actually describe the dynamics on the George Washington Bridge and even, um, in some cases, uh, hospitals. So, so a, a common thing now is that people are presenting, you can go online and check what are the ER wait times at various hospitals, and so which hospital do you choose to go to? So, and the same thing occurs when you visit Disneyland. So there's uh, various options uh, to choose from. And so the question is, you know, how do you actually choose which ride you want to go on in that context? Yeah, so now you've got, if you go to an amusement park now, they give you information on the wait time for each mm -hmm. ride, right? right. So the problem is it's always a short wait time for the one that's on the other side of the park. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, and when talking about different types of information, how they're they're represented, what are the, the certain ones that you look for, and how do you compare that to information that people are taking in as they they look at the line, whether they're they're approaching the Washington Bridge, and how does that differ on average, I guess even? Yeah. So the main two things that we looked at in the paper, and and Sophia now is is working on some uh, a new way to sort of represent the information, but one was just the information is presented to you as being accurate, but it's delayed by mm -hmm. some constant. So mm -hmm. it takes time for the information to be processed, and therefore there's a lag between the exact value and when you get the information. So that was the first method, and we call that the constant delay model. Mm -hmm. And another one that's more prevalent in healthcare is the moving average. Mm -hmm. And so one reason why the constant delay in terms of like an ER wait time is not necessarily used is that just because you show up and I've had a dislocated shoulder, um, just because I show up with a dislocated shoulder doesn't mean that I'm going to be served first. Right. So uh, if, if you happen to you know, actually lose your arm, you might actually be served much faster than uh, dislocated. <laughs> oh, yes, one, one would hope. And so a moving average actually in that context is actually more useful because then you're sort of averaging over a bunch of different types of, of patients. Mm -hmm. 
and they have these things called triage levels. And so you may even think about having a moving average for one of the each one of those uh, triage levels. So the moving average seems to be a little bit more appropriate, I think, in the healthcare context. Where, the, where here, the moving average we're talking about is essentially we've taken the average over the last n patients or the last uh, x amount of time, whatever it yeah. is. Mm-hmm. So, so, so there's one like company that does this moving average. And so they use like a four hour window, which seems pretty large, Um, but yeah, so they use a four hour window. There is a effort to start using sort of, let's look at the last sort of 10, 15 patients. On the other hand, it's difficult to get that information in real time actually. So it it shouldn't be difficult, but somehow this is a, a difficult thing to actually get. I guess in you real can time. see that, especially like in a hospital, the fourth person to arrive might actually be, end up being like the tenth person seen, depending on what they have. So it'd be hard right. to just keep track of. Right. Yeah. So it's 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 a little bit tricky, and I think that's why they also typically most people are actually seen within this sort of four hour window. So so I think that's kind of why they want to use this four hour kind of uh, time window. But but this is a this is a real problem and, and in Ithaca actually the Cayuga Medical Center actually recently had uh, someone die because they were waiting in the ER for much longer than they should have. And it's a real problem that I think that not only exists here but in various hospitals mm-hmm. uh, across the country and the world. So 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 what have you learned? If I'm if I'm getting ready to drive across the mm-hmm. bridge into New York City. <laughs> what what information should I be paying attention to? Yeah. So so I would argue that they need to add more information. Mm-hmm. So it's a, <laughs> um, so uh, need sorry not to answer you, to sort of <laughs> evade your question. Uh, I, I do think they need to add more information. So, so two things actually that I think are actually uh, useful. One thing would be, when is the last time that the sign was updated because the the sign actually it's not done in a continuous manner and this is what Sophia is now working on so it's updated like let's say every 10 minutes and so the question is how old is that update and that should have some influence if I've seen this sign for 10 minutes then well it's probably not as accurate and I know that a lot of people have been basing their decision off of that so maybe I should go a different direction they've yeah. been trying to in, in, in economics terms they're trying to arbitrage right mm-hmm. they, they see that there's an opportunity on the lower floor uh, deck so right. everybody's been taking the lower deck and that information is now stale yeah, yeah it's now stale <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it ruins the whole reason for having it presented in the first place. It, it, everyone's it's directing everyone to the same spot, like you said. Right. And now um, the, the Yogi Berra quote flows through my mind. Yeah. Nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no. Yes. So, so I think that that piece of information on how old this sign is, she and it. Another thing that I'm sort of collaborating with uh, a professor in civil engineering is um, presenting you with emissions information. You can sort of leverage the fact that every car can be uh, a sensor, um, just like you have antennas on your car, you can actually install a sensor to, to gather sort of air quality information. The question now is, with that information, do you decide to change Uh, maybe the direction you would take on the road based on this air quality information. And since there are cars 
ahead of you that may also have the sense in technology, they be able to inform you what the current sort of emissions profile of, of the road is. And so what we're trying to do now is sort of understand how does that affect the dynamics uh, once again on the road and, and how people may make decisions. Typically, most people weigh weighting much larger than small changes in the emissions sort of profile on the road, but that may change if people are more knowledgeable on the impact of sort of inhaling all of this sort of particulate matter while they're on a, a sort of slower uh, road. So yeah, this is, uh, uh, I think, a very, very important time to, to look at these things. What's the relationship between the emissions information and which one is slower? I mean, is, is it is that likely to be correlated positively or negatively? It depends in the sense that I guess um, the trucks on the upper deck, right? So. Yeah, so, so it depends on the vehicle type. But most of the emissions information is based off of the velocity and acceleration of a vehicle. And as you know, when you try to accelerate, your car goes... So at that particular time, there's a, a huge amount of emissions that are generated. Um, and to an extent, electric vehicles have reduced some of this because then you just operate off the the battery when you're sort of in a city more city-like environment Um, but there's still some sort of cost to sort of accelerating the vehicle and actually if you observe at stoplights the emissions profile at stoplights are much different than the rest of the highway and that's because when people stop they stop and not doing anything but they accelerate immediately and so you can actually tell when the traffic by observing the emissions information how the traffic actually is flowing on a road you can tell people while people are stopped here and then the light must have turned green because it's all the smog (laughs) appears so um and it's just like a truck you know one of those old trucks that you see as soon as it starts it like puffs out all this sort of black smoke and that's actually happening in the cars but to a lesser extent and so this information is important i think we're in a very interesting age now where information is sort of readily available to people and and obviously we want people to make the best decisions with it and occasionally giving people more information is bad but i think we're we're in a setting where information should be seen as a good thing and we want to sort of give more and more information to people so they can make better decisions, whether it be which hospital they choose or which road I take on um, my commute. Yeah, this reminds me a lot of the app Waze. Have you, it's W-A, yeah. okay. <laughs> it, it reminds me. My wife makes me use it. So <laughs> I, I, as much as I like writing these papers on this stuff, I'm very low tech. Um, <laughs> okay. um, but she, every time she's in a car, she makes me use Waze. So, so for those uh, aren't, yeah. who aren't familiar, yeah. Waze is an application that shows you the traffic distribution on the road at any mm-hmm. given time and different routes that may be be shortcuts at any time. And it also shows you the number of policemen on the road, and so you can kind of be aware and make decisions accordingly, whether they're speeding Slow or down. what. It's a perfect app if you're trying to do a bank robbery. Yeah. Exactly. Great right idea. Yeah. So I guess... I, you know, I was wondering if that kind of aspect or if you see maybe an app or what, what, how you foresee like the best communication of this information or should it be more um, sign 
signage available because sometimes maybe using an app might not be the safest thing while you're driving, kind of guiding yourself on the road or. So, so with that, I think there there are interesting questions that emerge from the app itself mm-hmm. in the sense that so when you use well Waze is also owned by Google but mm-hmm. Google Maps for instance which is another uh, service you can mm-hmm. use so in some sense the difference between a sign and Google Maps is that you're less likely to have choice your own choice if you're using an app so Google Maps is really directing you to a particular place and telling you that this is the best option for you while you actually have the opportunity to make your own choice given the information if you have a sign mm-hmm. and the subtlety subtle thing is that actually me and my wife were driving and Waze wasn't out at the time but we had google maps and as much as i hate this there were both of our phones were on google maps at the same time and they were telling us two different things <laughs> So, um, so, 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 well, what do you do in that situation, right? But Google Maps and Waze and many of these apps, they have to give some people an alternative. And the question is, do you want to be the alternative person in some sense to to try something new or try Mm -hmm. a new way? And so, or do you want to take the regular route that you know? And so there becomes an interesting question of like, who are they actually choosing to be the guinea pigs for these other routes. And am I chosen more often? So so there are interesting questions. I think the, the app itself sort of, lots of questions emerge from these apps. And, and one question is, I think, and one question I'm also exploring now is whether or not adoption of the app matters. Mm-hmm. So one sort of result is that you may think that only if a fraction of people operate the app then the traffic patterns actually might be somewhat stabilized and, and nice in some sense. This doesn't reduce like the time variation where people are, there's just too many people on the road in general, mm-hmm. but in a situation where we can think of, we're not in rush hour mm-hmm. and we want people to split off sort of evenly on, on two roads, does adoption or the, the fraction of people who actually adopt the app, does that help or actually hurt the sort of splitting of the roads. And so uh, there's lots of interesting questions, I think, that that come emerge from this. And this not only is in like Waze or Google Maps, for instance, there's a significant part of my department who work on city bike and, and bike sharing. And you can ask the same question there, where now when you leave your house, you're going to look on your phone, and this is another Google app. You can pick up how many bikes are near, you know, at, are at the station that's nearby me. And if there's only one bike there, while a station that may be a little bit further away has ten bikes, like which you know station do you tend up, you right. know, tend to go to for getting a bike? But you also have to recognize that the time it takes for you to get to that station is important because other people are also seeing the same information. Should we give the same information to everyone? That, that's another interesting question, I think, from, that emerges from this. Um, so that's pretty interesting. As well, thinking back on your story, you, know, you, you come up on the bridge every time, and it tells you, go to the lower deck, go to the lower deck. But you, you always took the up. How rare are you? <laughs> right? How many people uh, try and outsmart the sign? And, and... Uh, well, I, I've... <laughs> I've never been the person to follow any directions in my life. So, so uh, but 
No, most people. So mo I think a lot of cars actually take the lower deck and then this also depends on the vehicle that you're driving. So if you're driving a smaller car, most cars feel more comfortable around other cars. And so people tend to take the lower deck. I have always, so I actually did my PhD at Princeton and in New Brunswick, they have a special like on-ramp where you can get on the truck part of 95, where you can get on the the car part of 95. And I always took the truck part because it was always empty. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, I mean, I think, yeah, certainly driving around trucks, I think is a little more scarier, I guess, but I, I, I've always taken the truck part. So there's no reason why for me not to take the upper deck. Yeah, if you can tolerate it, then uh, then yeah. you, you've got this advantage in, in being able to just zoom. Yeah. <laughs> this also makes me think of when, when you're driving in lanes and there's a there's the right lane, which is slower lane. The left lane is just for passing. And sometimes, or the middle lane, and certain lanes can be more congested than others, with, especially when people are trying to defect and go into the left, the far left lane because they don't want to be stuck behind cars. And then you get many people defecting and going mm -hmm. behind cars, and then it becomes harder to pass. What Do you think any insight into kind of social kind of cohesion and in that sense as far as just general physical information maybe not like written or spelled out on a sign but information of what the environment looks like around us guides decisions well i'm also going to dodge that question too <laughs> in a in a slight sense that all of our problems can be erased by autonomous vehicles and and this is <laughs> this is <laughs> um so i mean I, a lot of cars now have sort of awareness systems to where like if you're on the left side, it'll, you know, beep in your car saying that someone's there. So, I mean, these brings up interesting questions about how how should we actually divvy up the lanes in some sense? So uh, going on 95, actually, there there isn't a high occupancy vehicle lane, HOV lane, and it's, you know, mainly open in one direction in, in the morning and then the opposite direction in the evening. And, you know, is that actually the the right thing to do? Also going across, like yeah, actually at the Lincoln Tunnel, there's a, a bus express lane. So uh, the three lanes that are leaving uh, New York City and entering into Jersey becomes two in the morning and then there's a, a sort of express bus lane. And that makes a lot of sense from an emissions point of view because buses tend to smog up the city a little bit more and so you want them to have a much easier access to getting into the city and not sort of be waiting around and this also incentivizes people to use the public transportation knowing that that is reliable because it has its own sort of dedicated lane and so there's there's a lot of you know incentives to to doing those things and one thing that's emerging if you are from Towson Maryland there's there's a new lane that's emerging where now you can get on this lane you pay a little bit of cash <laughs> and you can get on this lane and basically go express and interesting questions that emerge from that are like how should we price this lane right or should we even price this lane anyway because aren't my taxpayer dollars being used to build that thing right. in the first place? So why should we, shouldn't everyone just have access to it? There, there's lots of interesting questions I think are now emerging yeah. where people are using dynamic pricing to, to figure out. Yeah, so 
being from Maryland, one interesting aspect there is, you know, talking about taxpayer dollars sort of funding that lane and then mm-hmm. charging people for it. The way Easy Pass is set up in Maryland, mm-hmm. people coming from other states actually pay less to get on that road than the, the native Marylanders mm-hmm. um, really? because of the way they, yeah, it's, uh, essentially the fees they put on those accounts, which makes for an interesting uh, mm-hmm. political discussion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally, yeah. But it is, it's a pickle because uh, if you make the road just paid by taxpayer dollars and let anyone go on it it will it can still be kind of foreseen and we've talked about here the you know idea of things being free and not associating taxpayer dollars with the road that you're driving on currently uh, all, at all times and seeing that empty lane or the emptiness can lead to a, a bunch of cars just mm-hmm. going and now it being shifted over and unless you are aware enough to have the, the deviant behavior of, of the crowd, then it can it can definitely yeah. be you know unequal problems and just flip it. So there's this idea from from the behavioral side of, of social proof that yeah. uh, we talk about a lot when we think about queuing, where we you know so if you're if you're in one lane and you see people you know getting over to the left, um, you, you tend to think well they must know something I don't, right. and so you get over in the left and everything clogs up. The same thing if you go to the grocery store and you see you have a short line and you see you have a long line, you make you you think to yourself I'm going to the short line. And how often do you find yourself in that short line watching the other line zoom past? I mean, it's... <laughs> yeah. There's this uh, law in queuing by this uh, woman, Irma Brombeck, and it says the other line always moves faster. So, um, and it, it seems true, I think, just just uh, through through experience. And yeah, there's a, there's a lot of interesting questions I think that emerge from looking at people's behavior. And there, I, I will I will plug two books actually. So both both of them actually are called The Q. One book is more sort of on uh, goes back to actually Russia, and um, how people waited in line during it's not necessarily the Cold War, but a little bit before the Cold War. And ideally. Most people are adverse to waiting in lines, but you can flip this around. If there are things waiting, uh, like worth waiting for, you might actually want to be in that line. So, you know, if they're giving out diamond rings in one line and, and, and they're giving out cookies in another, yeah. you, you might want to be in that diamond ring right. line. So there's an interesting aspect to how people are willing to, to wait longer for some items that they sort of view as being valuable. And then there's another book, which is also called The Cube, but this one is actually based on in, 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 in the, it's a Middle Eastern uh, author. And I, it's just a fascinating read. I, I, I can't even really describe the book. It, it's just a really interesting view on society. So it, it kind of combines queuing theory with like George Orwell's 1984. So it's, 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 it's a very interesting uh, book. And I, I will have to go out and buy these for my PhD students. At the, at the end of the first year in our program, they take a big, big exam that we refer to as the Q. Right. <laughs> all the dread failing out in this, this uh, test. This, this would be a good gift yeah. for me. Okay. <laughs> and two more. Yeah. That's fantastic. 
Considering the decisions that we go out into the world and on the road to make, are there any gross recommendations that you would make for us um, when when driving and approaching the Washington Bridge or even in logging on to choosing a hospital? Um, are there certain behavioral trends with people succumbing to social proof and staying in lines that they're comfortable with that you would encourage us w- with the lack of information that there is? I just do not follow what they tell me to do. (laughs) Whatever the science says, do the opposite. I think that's just also a a lesson in life. I mean, if you're a finance person and you're going to make the same investments as everyone else, then you're only going to do as well as everyone else. There's no way for you to actually do better. So occasionally you got to just... Do something else. So, do something else. That's so, great. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, Jamal. Yeah. And thank you, Sophia, for being here. Right. We, we, we really appreciate you both coming out. And welcome to the Dyson School of Applied Economics. Um, awesome. And thank you, Saren, for, for joining us. This is Saren's last episode. Yeah, thanks, Saren. She'll be moving. Episodes. Sad. <laughs> this show is produced by Liam Wicks Doe. You can find us on Twitter at Mad Hat Economics. And feel free to email us at madhatecon at gmail.com. Thank you all for joining us. Have a good weekend.